0: Today we will be reading Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice! Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, This is the word of the
1: Lord. First thing I want to say is it's good to hear your voices and see your faces, really. I mean, Adam could tell you that more than anybody. Just your voices are bigger, Uh, your faces are a delight. So thanks for being here. Those of you who are still worshiping online, we're sort of glad you are, but you don't know what you're missing. You better get back. I mean, it's great. To hear all these voices and be able to greet one one another, so um, thanks for being here. I have a question for you to start out. If um, I were to ask you this question, what would your answer be? What are Christians known for today? Think about it. What do you think? I'm sure there's a variety of answers in your mind. I want to suggest that the earliest Christians were known primarily for two things. I realize that's reductionistic, but here we go. I think they were primarily known for benevolence and joy. Benevolence and joy. Because the early Christians were people who faced intense persecution and still they were joyful. We see that at the very beginning of the book of Acts and throughout the epistles. So why? Why were they joyful when the circumstances were so dire? Perhaps the clue to their joy has something to do with the words of the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter four that we just read a few moments ago. Even before he penned the words, perhaps, This was their perspective. Rejoice in the Lord always, and I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be made known to all, for the Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. But in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. I'd like to say that they knew that to be true based on their experience. That was their perspective. That's why they could rejoice. But more particularly, what Paul said, let's examine what it was he admonished the people at Philippi to do. When should they rejoice? Always. That was nothing new with Paul. It could have been seen in various places in the New Testament and in the Old. One interesting passage comes from Habakkuk. I'm guessing none of you read that book last week. But anyway, it is in the Old Testament. Habakkuk chapter 4, excuse me, chapter 3, verse 17, if you care to look at it. It says this, though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vine... Though the olive crop fails, still I will rejoice in the Lord. No figs, no grapes, no olives, no life. That's what it meant for the author of Habakkuk. Because they were dependent on those things almost entirely. And even if they all fail says Habakkuk, still I will rejoice in the Lord. Or how about these words at the beginning of the epistle to James? Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you fall into trials of many kinds. James chapter one, verse two. Consider it pure joy, not in the midst of trials, although we should. Consider it pure joy When you fall into trials, almost because you're falling into trials. Why? Because as Paul says, the testing of your faith during trials increases your faith. It produces endurance. And James understands the same thing. Or how about these words from 1 Peter 4, verse 13 Rejoice that you have been given the privilege of participating in Christ's suffering. Peter wrote those words, but he had practiced those words long before he wrote them when he was thrown into jail for proclaiming his faith. And he and the apostles came out of jail, and it was said of them, they rejoiced that they were honored to be able to suffer for Christ rejoiced. Paul practices the same thing that he preaches here in Philippians chapter 4 because when Paul founded the church in Philippi it's in Acts chapter 16 if you care to look it up he was proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ and he turned to an oppressed young woman who was being used by slave masters and a demonic overlord in her life and threw out the demon and because he did that Oh, wait a minute, seriously. Because he delivered somebody from the power of Satan and slavery? Yes, because he did that, he was thrown into prison. And he was beaten along with Silas. And what did he do? He and Silas started singing with the prisoners in the jail. Praises to God. He's done it. That's why he advises it. It's all over the New Testament. That's how the early Christians lived. So when should we rejoice, Paul? All the time. You know my life, all the time. How should we rejoice, Paul? Well, you might say that the first thing that comes to mind is to sing and give thanks like he did in the prison, to pray to, all those things are true. But notice in this passage, it gives us a little different twist. It's not just say thank you. It's not just rejoice with words. It's actually to rejoice with life. I want you, says one translation, to let your joy be known this way. Let everyone see that you are unselfish and considerate in all you do. Another translation Let your sweet. Sorry. That wasn't very sweet. Let your sweet reasonableness, your forbearance, your being satisfied with less than you are due be evident to all. I read that and I think, oh my. I don't want to think about last week. I don't want to remember being in the grocery line. I don't want to remember not being waited on as quickly as I thought I should because I don't think that was true of me. My sweet forbearance, my being satisfied when less than I was due, was that my way of rejoicing last week? Thanks be to God, sometimes it was. But very often it was not. So Paul doesn't tell us, I want you to rejoice this way. Go around singing praise songs all the time. Go around saying thank you all the time. Good idea. I also want you to go around and live gratefully. And be satisfied with less than you are due. When, always, how, live it, why. Because the Lord is near. Why do you rejoice all the time? Because the Lord is near. Now, there could be two possibilities for both. He's suggesting that the Lord's presence is with us even in the midst of trouble. That's true. He could also be suggesting that the Lord could come at any time and rescue us and make all things new. I think both are possible. Probably the first is the one he's emphasizing more than the second. And what does that look like? It looks like the words of Jesus in Matthew 28:20. 20. I'm with you always even to the very end of the age. Why should you rejoice? Because Christ is with you always. Or how about Romans? Romans chapter 8 verse 28. All things work together for good to those who are called according to God's purposes. All things work together for good. Or, how about in this very epistle, chapter 4, verse 19? God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Your every need will be supplied, not every want, but your every need. Because God is near. That's why we rejoice. He's present with us, and he could return. At any time. Then Paul goes on to give us some really practical advice. I'll tell you what I'm glad he did not say. What I'm glad he did not say is stop worrying in the sentence. Right? I'm so grateful he didn't say that. Instead, he said turn your worry into prayer. So you worry. Everybody does. Worry is an opportunity for prayer. So, turn your worry into prayer. By the way, the uh, etymology of the word worry is really interesting. Uh, There's a couple of etymologies depending on which language you're talking about. One language, the base or the root word for worry, is actually to pull in different directions. Isn't that interesting? You can't even keep your focus, you're just being pulled apart. Another word, the old English word for worry has an etymology that reveals this, to strangle. Worry strangles the life out of you. So instead of allowing the life to be strangled out of you, instead of being pulled in different directions all the time so that you cannot focus, Instead of allowing worry to consume your life, turn your worry into prayer. Do something with it. Make it prayer. The first advice is simple. Instead of worrying, turn your worry into prayer. The second part is even more practical. How do I do that, Paul? He says, do it with petitions. Let me put it, the way I think Paul intended for it to be. Don't worry about how anxious you sound to God. Just say it. Don't worry that someone else would think you were complaining. You're not talking to them. You're talking to God. Just say it. Don't worry that someone would see you weak and helpless and all those things if you expressed it to someone else. You're not. Talk to God. Give him your worry through prayer. Do it with petitions, all of them. I've quoted this before because I just love the pithiness of Martin Luther. Martin Luther, when addressing the subject on one occasion, said, oh, come on. We're all beggars and God likes us that way. We're all beggars and God likes us that way. Stop worrying about it, just ask. Also, he tells us, Besides doing petitions, he said, pray with thanksgiving. Oh, that too is really important. This is what helps petitions not to turn into self centeredness. This is what helps petitions not to turn into egocentricity, where it's all about me. This is what helps me when I'm hurting and complaining. When I'm petitioning God, I also thank Him. I think if you want the ultimate demonstration of how to pray when you're under duress, just go to the Psalms. Oh my, just full of one psalm after another where David or somebody is crying out to God and being honest. They're petitioning God for justice. They're crying out to God, their heavenly father, and it's okay. So what happens if you do this? We might ask Paul. Here's what happens. The peace of God, which transcends, overarches, all understanding, is not irrational but is above rationality because it doesn't make sense in the midst of your circumstances, that you could find peace. That kind of peace overarches and guards your heart and mind through Christ Jesus our Lord. Wow, what a wonderful promise. By the word, the word guard will guard your hearts and mind. It actually comes from a word that is identifying a centurion or a century officer, someone that's guarding someone else. I have no reason to believe this is actually true, but I want to believe it's true, so I'm just telling you, I have no proof. I just want it to be true. Paul is penning these words where? In prison. And he's being watched over by what? A century officer. I want to believe that Paul is writing, and he's saying, what word should I you oh, that one. I'll use that word that's associated with him guarding me. And I'll give us a different perspective. That my circumstances are not even compared to the reality that I can see. Because God, over that officer transcends all my circumstances and he's guarding my heart and mind through Christ Jesus and I will have peace that is beyond my understanding because he is guarding my heart and mind. I don't know if he did it quite like that but I know this, that was the effect. As he languished in prison, he trusted God and God guarded his heart and his mind. Then Paul ends this whole thing with a final flurry. Some people say it's like disconnected thoughts from the previous couple of verses. I like to think more of it as a finale. You know, fireworks, boom, boom, boom. You've seen some beautiful ones, now they're all at once. However you interpret it, that's up to you, but here's what he does. At the end of it, his flurry is this. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is excellent, or whatever is praiseworthy, think about these things. That's such good practical advice. Just open your eyes and, and look around at how much in our world is praiseworthy how many things we could take delight in? I want you to look at those things and take your mind off your concerns. By the way, a, a little bit of a critique, which you know I'm good for. Um, sometimes we as Christians think we've got it all right and nobody can be quite as good as us. And we talk about the motivation coming from our love for Christ, all of which is true. It comes from our love for Christ. And then sometimes we're almost suspicious of goodness outside our circle. Newsflash, nobleness, excellence, morality, goodness, kindness, generosity. It's not the exclusive domain of Christ followers. It's not even the exclusive domain of people like us who look at them who don't even believe in God. It's still there. It's called the common grace of God. And Paul is calling us to be reminded of the common grace of God. And he's saying, whatever is true, no matter who it comes from, Whatever is noble, no matter where you see it, whatever is lovely, beautiful, focus on those things. You know, sometimes our knee-jerk reaction has something to do with not wanting to give people too much credit because we're afraid they'll get ahead of us. Sometimes we're inclined not to notice things that are praiseworthy, either because of our religious perspective or because of our personal perspective or because of our political perspective. That couldn't be noble. Yes, it can be. It can be noble. It's praiseworthy. So think about it, no matter where it comes from. So the final thing is to remind you of something I suppose you already know, but in the midst of All this advice we could lose. Paul's words are not pinned as a form of psychological therapy, as a way to think positively in the midst of difficult things so everything will be better. I'm not dissing that, okay? Hear me. I, I, I know positive thinking is wonderful. Psychology is a dramatically helpful tool. But Paul is... Giving us this advice from a different perspective. Here's the perspective it's the result of faith in God, it's the result of the truth concerning God. And based on that foundation, we rejoice. So here's my final flurry. Rejoice because God is the sovereign king of the universe. Our times are in his hands. Rejoice because God knows you. He even numbers the hairs on your head. And that's not a big project for God when it comes to some people. But for other people, it's a big project. Okay, let's try to be funny. God knows you inside and out. If God cares for the sparrows, Matthew 5 said, he'll surely care for you. Rejoice because God gives us eternal life. When God infuses our life with eternal life, He redefines our material reality and everything changes. Our perspective on stuff is entirely different because it's eternal. Rejoice because. Of that eternal life. And rejoice. Because God's going to make everything new. Doesn't look like it right now, does it? But he is. He's going to make everything new. And rejoice. Because pain can't defeat you. Even death can't defeat you. Because God's love will always be with you and you will never be separated from God's love. So rejoice. No matter how dark the night, no matter how overwhelming the evil, it will not win. The love of God is going to win because God is love. So we rejoice in that. Now, I want to flip back to the very beginning of Philippians and tell you something that maybe you missed when you were reading it last time. Paul said, I want you to live this way. I want you to live without grumbling and complaining in this generation that needs light. I want you to Live without grumbling and complaining. Instead, I want you to rejoice, as chapter 4 says. And when you do, not only will your hearts and minds be guarded, but you will shine like stars in the universe. So back to my initial question. What are Christians known for today? I'm not sure. I know what we should be known for. So at least right here. Let's make it true that when people see us, we're known for our love, our generosity, our rejoicing, because God is good. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, uh, that you are good. Thank you that our times are in your hands. Thank you that even though we cannot see the future, we can trust you who has the future in us his hands, and we thank you, Lord, that someday you're going to make everything new. Whatever the circumstances personal that we're facing, whatever the circumstances as a community we're facing, whatever circumstances as a world that we're facing, these things are still true. So help us to turn our worry, our anxiety into prayer. May we pray passionately about those things that we worry about. And may we pray with thanksgiving and may the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, guard our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.